Chapter Thirty Five of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Five at Kitchen's Barn. To be so summarily left alone and in such a place was disconcerting. Kate, in the semi-darkness and silence, put her foot on the first tread of the steps and placing her hand against the wall looked upward not a sound above her a partial light through a trap-door and a wounded man she stood completely unnerved the thought of laramie wounded perhaps dying the man that had rescued her protected her in truth saved her life on that fearful night this man now lying above her stricken perhaps murdered by her own father's friends how could she face him only the thought that he should not lie wounded unto death without knowing at least that she was not ungrateful that she had not wittingly betrayed him gave her strength to start up the narrow steps when her head rose above the trap opening the light in the large loft seemed less than it had promised from below there were no windows but through a gable door partly ajar shot a narrow slit of daylight from the afterglow of the sunset kate caught glimpses of a maze of rafters struts and beams and under them huge piles of loose hay reaching the top step she paused trying to look about in the dim light when laramie close at hand startled her mcalpin told me you wanted to see me he said she could distinguish nothing for a moment, but the low words reassured her. I'm lying on the hay, he continued in the same tone. If you'll open the door a little more, you can see better. Picking her way carefully over to it, Kate pushed the door open somewhat wider and turned toward Laramie. He lay not far from the stairs. The yellow light of the evening glow falling on his face reflected a greenish pallor. Kate caught her breath, for it seemed as if she were looking into the face of death until she perceived, as he turned his head, the unusual brightness of his eyes. In her confusion, what she had meant to say fled. "'Are you very much hurt?' she faltered. "'Far from it,' he spoke slowly. "'If it cost him an effort, none was discernible.' coming into the barn tonight he went on very haltingly i had a kind of dizzy spell he paused again i've been eating too much meat lately anyway they say i fell off my horse leastways i bumped my head i'll be all right tomorrow bell told me there had been a fight up at the canyon bridge kate stammered already at a loss to begin a sickly yellow smile pointed the silence i wouldn't call it exactly a fight he said dwelling somewhat on the last word far from it he repeated with a touch of grimness there was some shooting and some running she could see how he paused between sentences but if the other fellows ran it must have been after me i didn't pay much attention to who was behind I had to make a tolerable steep grade down the falling wall ladder to the river. I was on horseback and didn't have much leisure to pick my trail. 
and they were shooting at you from the rim well they must have been shooting at something in my general direction i guess they hit me once i didn't mind getting hit myself but i didn't want them to hit my horse i was heading for the bottom as fast as the law would allow if they'd hit the horse i wouldn't have had much more than one jump from the rim to the river can't ask you to sit down he added unless you'll sit here on the hay without the least hesitation kate placed herself beside him without giving her a chance to speak and in the same monotone he added who told you i was a gambler less than so blunt and unexpected a question would have sufficed to take her aback and she was conscious in the fading light of his strangely bright eyes fixed steadily on her i don't remember anybody ever did i somebody did you told bell once it must have been long ago is that the reason you never acted natural with me she flushed with impatience but if she tried to get away he brought her back to the subject cornered she grew resentful i can't tell who told me she pleaded after ineffectual sparring i've forgotten are you a gambler she demanded turning inquisitor herself he did not move and it was an instant before he replied what do you mean he asked by gambler kate's tone was hard just what everybody means if you mean a man that makes his living by gambling or hangs around a gambling house all the time or plays regularly then i couldn't fairly and squarely be called a gambler if you mean a man that plays cards sometimes or has once in a while bet on a game in a gambling house then i suppose he was so evidently squirming that kate meaningly enjoyed his discomfort you might call me that it would all depend on whether the one telling it liked me or didn't like me i haven't been in tennyson's rooms for months nor played but one game of poker i despise gambling why didn't you tell me why should i in one sense everybody's a gambler everybody i know is playing for something take your father and me he's playing for my life i'm playing for you he's playing for a small stake i'm playing for a big one she could not protest quick enough you talk wildly no he persisted evenly i only look at it just as it is don't ask me to believe all the cruel things said of my father any more than you want me to believe the things said of you i'm terribly sorry to see you wounded and now her words caught in her throat bell blames me even for that how on earth does she blame you for that despite her efforts to control herself kate as she approached the unpleasant subject began to tremble inwardly with the fear that it must after all be as bell had rudely asserted that her father was behind these efforts against laramie's life for nothing had shaken her tottering faith in her father more than the blunt words laramie himself had just now indifferently spoken if i'm in any way to blame it is innocently she hurried on i will tell you everything you shall judge my father was bitterly angry when he learned that i had been seen at abe hawk's funeral 
i told him about my getting lost about falling into the place at the bridge how you did everything you could and how abe hawk had done all he could he was so angry he would listen to nothing she stopped collected herself tried to go on could not oh i hate this country she exclaimed i hate the people and everything in it and i'm going away from it as far as i can get but i wouldn't go she said determinedly without seeing you and telling you this much laramie spoke quietly but with confidence you're not going away from this country kate had picked up a stem of hay and looking down at it was breaking it nervously between her fingers you will have to hurry up and get well if i stay she said abruptly i'm beginning to think you are the only friend i have here and she added so quickly as to cut off any words from him i've told you everything i only hope my speaking about the hiding place at the bridge when father was angry with me and only to defend myself was not the cause of this she was close beside him can it be she asked that this is how it happened he heard her voice break with the question no he blurted out instantly oh she cried i'm so thankful listening to her effort to speak the words he was not sorry for what he had said if you're going to lie hawk had once said to him cynically don't stumble don't beat about the bush do a job the moment kate told her story laramie knew exactly how he had been trapped but why blame her it's the first time i ever lied to her he thought ruefully to himself it's the first time she ever believed me does bell know you quarreled with your father he asked to get away from the subject no she answered steadying herself she said you had been acting sort of queer i can't tell people my troubles why did you tell me you might die and blame me who says i'm going to die they were afraid you might well i don't like to disappoint anybody but dying is a thing a man is entitled to take his time about can't i do something till the doctor comes he turned very slowly on his side kate made an attempt to examine his shoulder she was not used to the sight of blood the clotted and matted clothing awed and sickened her even the hay was blood-soaked but she stuck to her efforts supplementing the rude efforts of mccalpin and kitchen to give him first aid she cut away with laramie's knife the bullet-torn coat and shirt and tried to get the wound ready for cleansing i'm so afraid of doing the wrong thing she murmured fearfully i don't care what you do do something he said your hands feel awful good i've nothing here to work with all right we'll go to the drug store and get something after stubborn efforts he got on his feet and insisted on going down the stairs nothing that kate could say would dissuade him i've been here long enough anyway was his decision i'm feeling better every minute only awfully thirsty kate steadied him down the dark stairs fearful he might fall over her as she went ahead secrecy of movement seemed to have no significance for him 
If his friends were disturbed, Laramie was not. He evidently knew the harness room, for he opened the blind door with hardly any hesitation and stepped into the office. The office was empty, but the street door of the stable was open. McAlpin stood in the gangway talking to some man who evidently caught a glimpse of Laramie, for he said rudely and loud enough for Kate to hear, "'Hell, McAlpin, there comes your dead man now!' Kate recognized the heavy voice of Carpy and shrank back. The doctor, McAlpin behind him, dumbly staring, confronted Laramie at the door. "'What are you doing here, Jim?' he demanded. "'What would I be doing anywhere?' retorted Laramie. "'Go back to your den. This man says you're dying.' "'Well, I'm not getting much encouragement at it. I've been waiting for you three hours to help things along. I'm done with the hay. Looking for a feather bed to die in? Some men are blamed particular.' As he spoke, Carpy caught his first glimpse of Kate. "'Hello, there's the pretty little girl from the great big ranch. No wonder the man's up and coming. What did you send for me for, McAlpin? Where are you heading, Jim?' With his hands on the door jabs, Carpy effectually barred the exit. Knowing his stubborn patient well, he humored him to the verge of letting him have his own way, but with much raillery denied him the drugstore trip. A compromise was effected. Laramie consented to go to Bell's to get something to eat. In this way, refusing help, the obdurate patient was got to walk to the cottage. "'Don't let him fall on you,' McAlpin cautioned Kate as the two followed close behind. "'I helped carry him upstairs. He's a ton of brick.' But Laramie, either incensed by his condition, the idea of any escort being vastly unpleasant to him, or animated by the stiff hypodermics of profanity that Carpy injected into the talk as they crossed the street, did not even stumble. He held his way unaided, met Bell's amazement unresponsively, and, sitting down, called for something to eat. "'How does he do it, Doc?' whispered McAlpin, craning forward from the background. "'Pure damned nerve,' muttered Carpy. "'But he does it.' They got him into bed. While the doctor was evacuating the channel ripped through his shoulder, Laramie said nothing. When, however, he discovered that Kate was missing, he crustily short-circuited Bell's excuses. Words passed. It became clear that Laramie would start out and search the town if Kate were not produced. "'She wanted to see me,' he insisted doggedly. "'Now I want to see her.' Carpy found he must again intervene. He dispatched McAlpin as a diplomatic envoy over to his own house, whether he had taken Kate as his guest, when she peremptorily declined to return to Bell's. End of chapter 35